Welcome into Opportunity Detroit, brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. On today's show, several nonprofits are benefiting greatly from the Rocket Mortgage Classic, and we'll explain why. There's an excellent restaurant in the New Center area featuring East African food. We'll meet the owner. Feather Bowling is back in Detroit. And finally, we'll meet the general manager of the Motor City Rockers. A great show about what's happening in the D, coming up right after these messages. Welcome into Opportunity Detroit, brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. The Rocket Giving Fund celebrated 313 Day last Monday by announcing that in 2022, the Rocket Mortgage Classic raised $1.57 million to support local Detroit nonprofits. Laura Graneman, Executive Director of the Gilbert Family Foundation and the Rocket Community Fund, is here now to talk more about this. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you so much, Anne. It's great to be here. This number, $1.57 million, that's pretty amazing. Talk to us about all of the different nonprofits that are benefiting from all the work that you do at Rocket Mortgage. Yeah, it is a, it's an amazing number, and I think it just goes to show what a group of committed people can do when they really think creatively about how to come together to solve a, a systemic issue. And in this case, the Rocket Mortgage Classic is all about bridging the digital divide here in Detroit. You know, we care about golf. We think golf is super important, um, and it's a great opportunity for everybody to come together and see incredible sport. Um, But it's about even more than golf. It's also about creating a ripple effect of systemic change in our communities. Uh, And as a technology company, Rocket Mortgage and Rocket Companies truly understands the importance of being connected digitally to all the tools and resources that come with the internet and digital inclusion. Um, So a huge portion of that $1.57 million is going towards what we call changing the course, um, which is an initiative to drive digital inclusion in Detroit. Talk to our listeners, Laura Graneman, a little bit about why this digital divide, bridging the digital divide is so important? Well, I think we all saw uh, during the pandemic how, uh, you know, critical digital inclusion is. It truly highlighted this need. But the reality is that really ever since the internet has been a thing, uh, there has been a digital divide. And here in the city of Detroit, when we launched our Changing the Course, Course initiative, actually only 40% of Detroit residents were digitally included. That's amazing. So again, think about during the pandemic, 40% of people had access to the internet and were allowed essentially to continue connecting to their education, to their employment, to their, you know, medical care. Um, These things are, you know, we often think about digital inclusion as like a a, a privilege, right? We think about, you know, I'm a, a young high school kid and I have the privilege to, to have a, a cell phone or the privilege to be able to watch Netflix on my computer. But it's about so much more than that now. Every single resource in our society is connected to the internet. Um, and it is now a right for all of our uh for all of our community members to be able to be digitally connected. How much has this improved the situation since you started this program, Laura? 
Well, one of the things that we're incredibly proud of is the fact that we actually hit a pretty major milestone. In addition to being able to announce the $1.57 million uh, going towards bridging the digital divide, we also were able to um, really, you know, hit this 100,000 mark of 100,000 families who are now enrolled in what's called the Affordable Connectivity Program. So 100,000 Detroit residents have now been connected to an internet subsidy um, that is a monthly subsidy to help make their internet costs more affordable. Um, And Detroit is actually the leading city in the nation for um, enrollees in this program. So we're so proud that Our funding is, again, not just going to a nonprofit. We're not just writing a check. We're actually investing in an organization called Connect 313, which was founded through the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And we've been able to work collectively with the city and with United Way to really fund and run this campaign to connect Detroit residents to critical resources like the Affordable Connectivity Program. Um, so, so, so proud of that work and how the Rock and Mortgage Classic has really fueled it. So how does it work, Laura? How do families find out about this and get connected? Yeah, so uh, families can find out about the Affordable Connectivity Program. Um, we actually have a website, connect313.org, and you can visit there. We also have a call center, um, which will help connect you to resources that will allow Um, that will support you through the application process for the Affordable Connectivity Program. And people can just go to that and then you kind of take it from there and help them out. Yeah, we'll walk you through every step of the way. Absolutely. Now, you've also given money to Midnight Golf. Talk a little bit about that program. It's such a nice thing. Yeah, we also have a great partnership with several entities, um, nonprofit organizations around the city that are really helping to boost youth sports, in particular Midnight Golf, Detroit Pal, um, and First Tee. Uh, And these programs are so important to get our students engaged and active. And actually, we've been able to continue this um, theme of bridging the digital divide to help those organizations also stay digitally connected and ensure that their students and participants um, are, are digitally connected as well. Um, So we work with each of those three organizations, you know, to support their operations, but also to to make sure that they're staying digitally included. And then money also went to the Greater Palmer Park community. How did they benefit from the money there? Well, the Greater Palmer Park community is incredibly important to us um, because we always, you know, believe that it is so important to leave the space better than we found it. Um, And so we invest in the greater Palmer Park community, and really those um, community members are able to determine how the funding is utilized to be able to support Palmer Park um, and and really grow and develop that space. So again, we leave it better than we found it. So as we head toward the Rocket Mortgage Classic for this year to be held June 27th through July 2nd at the historic Detroit Golf Club, what are your goals? Because I know you, you're always upping things. That's right. So our goals um, this year, you know, the great thing about the Connect 313 work and the the work of bridging the digital divide is that it doesn't happen in one week. While the golf tournament does happen in one week, and it's a great place to kind of come together and celebrate our wins. These, uh, this work is really happening all year round. 
And so our goals at Connect 313 are to continue to expand our network. We have a network of 22 different neighborhood technology hubs, which are spaces where Detroit residents can go to access devices, digital literacy training, and um, high-speed internet. We hope to continue to expand that network. Um, We hope to continue to invest in our uh, ability to um, listen to the community and invest in in spaces and places where the community is telling us need uh, more digital inclusion resources. Um, and so, you know, and then we can we hope to continue to connect folks to the affordable connectivity program. We know that 54% of our um, qualified residents are already connected to ACP, but there's more out there, and we want to make sure to reach as many people as possible. You know, it kind of sounds like Detroit has become a model for other cities around the country. Talk a little bit about that. Detroit has become a model. There are very few cities that have this type of infrastructure that allows everyone to come together and really advocate and connect folks to resources across the entire city. Um, So Connect 313 is is really advocating for policy change. They're on the ground, grassroots, listening to folks about where there are gaps. And then we're following up and able to invest in those gaps. Um, We've been really honored to be recognized at a national level, um, actually in the Senate, um, as a national model for digital inclusion. Um, We've seen, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, I mentioned that at the um, time of the pandemic, we had 40 percent digital inclusion. Today, we have 67.5 percent. So we're truly changing the game in terms of um, our you know, the percentage of folks who are digitally included. And, you know, of course, there's a long way to go. We still have more work to do, but we're so proud of the progress that we've made so far. You know, I know that you have been involved with this from the ground up, from having you on the Paul W. Smith Show and having you on Opportunity Detroit and just watching you in action. Did you ever imagine that this program would become this successful so fast, Laura? You know, it's funny. Um, We actually have a cultural value, an ism, we call them, um, that is, you'll see it when you believe it. (laughs) So it's kind of the flip version of I'll believe it when I see it. Um, And I think you have to, you have to have a vision, you have to believe that that vision is possible in order to to see that reality come together. Um, And my philosophy on life truly is that there are a ton of challenging problems out there. But for the most part, they're man-made problems. You know, if if we made it a challenge, we can also address it. And if we come together in creative and interesting ways, the sky's the limit in terms of what we can accomplish. It has to make you personally feel good to see a family get connected in the way it changes their entire lives. It does. It does. It is... Um, you know, again, we, we often think of these things as privileges. Sure. Um, but when you see families who, you know, are all trying to connect to employment resources or education resources on one tablet um, or one cell phone, right, it truly shows you how much of a rev limiter technology and internet connection are for certain families. And it's just widening this, this disparity that already exists in terms of access and resources. Um, and so it's, it's incredibly powerful to see the network that we've created and see in action families who are connected to devices in ways that they never have been in the past. Um, and, and now really like, the world at their fingertips um, and they're able to, 
to connect to you know, critical housing resources, educational resources, employment resources, medical resources, and frankly, just an active community um, that so many folks were missing during the pandemic. Laura Graneman, Executive Director of the Gilbert Family Foundation and the Rocket Community Fund, making a very big difference here in Detroit. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Ann. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. Mamba Hamisi, founder of Baybob Fair, a restaurant in the New Center area, is checking in with us now. Mamba, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So I want you to just talk a little bit about this restaurant. I have heard a lot about this. You know, we are located here in the New Center area, and everyone I run into says, have you been there yet? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think it's, uh, it's because uh, the, the way we started the business and the way we started the restaurant was a little bit um, not usual. So me and my wife, Nadia, we came here in this country as a refugee. We came to seek asylum in the, in the United States. And then uh, we didn't know anything about Detroit. We didn't know anything about Michigan. Because the only shelter that you can find in this country that can give you help, shelter, legal support, Food and medical assistance is right here in Detroit. Mm. And uh, finding ourselves in Detroit in the middle of uh, winter was not easy. And then we started <laughs> looking around what to do, right? And we didn't speak uh, English at that time. You can imagine how hard it is. The food was not that good. We didn't, everything was like new. And our kids were were born while living in Freedom House. We have uh, now nine years old uh, daughters, Kenza and Diaz. They were born in Freedom House, so everything was new. And then we started looking around and started to create uh, restaurants. I think why people as were so supportive is because the way we, we were so curious to know and to ask a lot of questions. We were everywhere. We did a lot of pop-ups around the city. We did a lot of street food. We would bring our tent and lay out the table and start selling. We did a lot of festivals, yeah, before even we opened. Yeah, so Baba Fair an East African restaurant created here in Detroit by me, myself, and my wife, Nadia. So what kind of food do you offer at your restaurant? So Baba Fair, we have uh, it's, uh, authentic East African food, authentic, authentic Burundian food, the food that we eat every day in Burundi. It's, you know, most of the dishes in Burundi, we, we use rice and, you know, beans all the time, spinach all the time. Uh, occasionally, you can have meat. Um, you can have like uh, beef, chicken, goat. So we have a large option of uh, vegetarian. So we don't use any dairy in our food. So, yeah. And you're located right on Woodward, right? Very close yeah. to West Grand Boulevard? Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. So we are on uh, 6568 Woodward, uh, just on the corner of Woodward and East Grand Boulevard. I think it's incredible that you came here as refugees and now you have this fabulous restaurant. What were some of the hurdles that you had to go through to get a restaurant in the city of Detroit? Uh, I'll always say that uh, what happened to us cannot happen in any other city than um, Detroit. And I think like by the time we came in around 2015, 
and 2016, so 17, we 2016 we didn't have a, a work permit, so we were struggling to apply our work authorization so we can start seeking jobs. In 2017, we won the Hash Detroit competition. That gave us like 50,000 to start the business. And I'm, I'm trying to lay out all the opportunities. I think the only way I can say this is we were there at the right time, in the right moment, and Detroit was ready, you know, to to welcome us. Was ready for us. Was ready to to a new cuisine. Uh, I think that's that's what happened. And we are so lucky and grateful to be in Detroit because everything happened here. I don't think it can happen anywhere else. So that is that's what I can say. But you can imagine challenges was there. But also there was also a lot of facilities that we, we found and you know, if we you compare it to other cities you couldn't find. Yeah. So all the ecosystems around uh, that we have in Detroit was so helpful to, to, to give us this opportunity, this chance to show them what what we can share. It kinda sounds like you and your family, Mamba Hamisi, have fallen in love with Detroit. Yeah, absolutely. So Detroit is home, right? Is that our slogan said Detroit Niyumbani. That's the only home we have. Fleeing the country that we we love, fleeing our country that we have a root, we have families there, it was not an easy thing, and uh, that is behind us. So one day, I don't think we're gonna be back there, live there, because it's, it's not happening. So that's the the destiny has chosen this. Our kids were born here. They will not call Burundi anymore home. They trade the only home we have. So the only chance we have, the second chance I'll call it, the second chance we had in our life. To have another home is this, and then it's Detroit. Yeah. You know, your English is wonderful. You did a great job learning the language relatively quickly. How did you do that? It's, uh, you know, watching cartoons with the girls. Uh, so I came, the girls, were, the, my daughter was uh, two years old. And um, at the same time, so learning at the same time, you know, picking up some words, picking up some, uh, you know, vocabularies. So watching cartoon with them was a big help, and I used a lot of I used a lot of uh, Google Translate. So then how it can sound because there is a lot of English accent around. So you're trying to make sure like what like for example I struggle a lot with say walking and working, it's two words but they are very very similar. So I practice a lot of those two words, I, a lot of things. So it's more like okay, and then another thing is like. I speak more than I, I used to speak more than four languages. Now I have five languages. So you have English as a fifth language, and I think that when we speak more than two or three languages, it, the brain can can pick up another language easily. It does is one. Second is like I, I call this home. I'm here, I, and I have the only way you have to be integrated to the society and the community is to speak the language, right? So it's, you have to make that effort. You don't have, sometimes you don't have a choice. I, I tell people I'm not smart, it's because you don't have a choice, so you have to do it. Oh, that's great advice. Now, I know you opened Baobab Fair in uh, 2021, kind of still during the pandemic. How was that at first? Did you have a lot of business? And how is it now? Are things a lot better? Yeah, so opening in that time was... Uh, again was not a choice because we had covid we were working on this project for three years and covid started and we didn't have any support so they all the support the government was putting out there the ppp money and all those grants were not qualified because the business was not open before the pandemic so we had a lot of expenses and we were like you know what we're gonna even close our door before we open 
let's just open because we have a lot of expenses. So let's just open. If even we can get five hundred five five dollars, that's gonna help. That was the thing. Is like we start opening. You know, we were not sure how people will, you know, embrace the cuisine that we're bringing. Is a new cuisine. Is a new cuisine. Is a new concept. It's it's. Uh, we had a lot of you know questions, but after two months, everything went well. You know, as I said, we are so grateful. People was there to support. People loved it. People started, you know, talking about it. And then that's why we are successful in what we are doing. What are people's favorite dish? Are there a couple of dishes that are just wildly popular? Yeah, the fish, the samaki is very popular. Our grilled chicken, kumuhana, is very popular. Our intore, which is a vegetarian dish, is very popular. Myself, I like the beef. The beef is my everyday meal, you know, not every day, but most of the time. And the chicken, too, the cook is good. So everything is great. And then we created, uh, so in African uh, concept uh, cuisine, we don't have dessert. So we created dessert that is tamu's passion fruit and uh, avocado. People will be surprised, like, oh, avocado and passion fruit. But that's what people love. It sounds healthy. It sounds like a lot of your food is pretty healthy. Yeah, and, and again, so that is one of the surprises that me and Nadia, we we found when we came here. I was like, and healthy food, that's what doesn't exist in my in my language. Mm-hmm. Like, unhealthy food, food has to be medicine, food has to be healthy. So when you have, like, unhealthy food, it's like, wait, 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 what is this? So food has to be unhealthy. So, again... Food has to be healthy. And then growing up in the culture that we are coming from, that is how food it is. And then I feel like the big problem is because we exceed, sometimes we do a lot or we eat a lot or we use a lot of what we have. And then because in Africa we don't have that much a lot to, to use or to consume, it's easy to, to, to appreciate and to cook what we have. You know, any, any anything when you start like mass production, you know, people will abuse this. And I feel like that is where we're trying to make sure, like, we do everything from scratch. We do everything from scratch. The same thing, as I said, the authentic East African food. We do everything from scratch the same way that we do in Burundi. Do you find it relatively easy to get the products you need right here in Detroit for the different meals that you serve? Absolutely. So that's the beauty of this country. The diversity is everywhere, even the food. And then this is similarities. And then the good thing is, like, you have even more options, right? In Burundi, you can only find like five, um, you know, five way to make or five beans, you know, different beans. Here you can find even 20. You know, you have a lot of choices, which is great. So as a chef, that gives you opportunity to create more with the same dish. Yeah, you know, we use a lot of, uh, we have similarities as uh, food, as uh, um, South American, Middle Eastern you know, like uh, we don't need to go to Burundi to bring our own spices. You go just to Bilibon, you can get the same spices. Ingredient, just go to Mexican town, you can get the same ingredient. So it's it's some of the Asian, like um, uh, we have a lot of Asian that, uh, ingredient that we use to, like kambu, which is a seaweed. We use it too. We can find it in the Asian market. So if you go around, you find everything that you need. So we don't need to import anything. Everything can find right here in Detroit. Did you have a love of cooking your entire life, Mamba Hamisi? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So growing up, my mom owned a small restaurant. 
in Burundi, and then that's my restaurant. She was uh, feeding people who work in the market. So all the time I would be with her in the kitchen, but she didn't want me to stay in the kitchen <laughs> because it's just like, no, no, you have to go to school, get a degree. This is not the job we want to do. So cooking is not a job that a parent will wish the kid could have in my, 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 my culture, in my country. Interesting. And my mom would be, no, 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 go get out of here, go to school. But I always loved cooking, always love what she's doing. She, she was like, she, she's my superhero. And I've been seeing her the same way. Everything she does, I was like, oh, this is magic. I want to do it. So, yeah, growing up, I love it. And then now that's what saved us. It saved my family. Coming here, we couldn't get a job. My background is in business, sales and marketing. I couldn't get a job. I was like, okay, let me go back in the kitchen. And then I had to hide my mom for two years or three years. She didn't know that I was cooking until we <laughs> opened the restaurant. <laughs> It sounds to me, though, that your advice for people interested in starting a business or going out on their own would be to find something they love and do it. Correct. Yeah. You, I think you have to listen to your gut. You have to listen to that inside voice that is telling you do this. But again, the big advice I would tell people, you have to work hard for it. Yes. And you have to be patient. You know, the most of, sometimes I see a lot of uh, young people here, they struggle with a lot of choices on the table. So, and then they get lost. You wanna try this, after you wanna try this, after you wanna try this, after you wanna try this. Time is running, energy is running, and at the end of the day, you have a zero result. So me and Nadia, I think they've been, you know, the difference was because we didn't have a lot of choices. We had this one choice, and you have to stick on it. You have to work to make it happen. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. Mamba Hamisi, founder of Baobab Fair, a popular East African restaurant in the New Center area. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your great story. Thank you so much. We'll be back right after these messages. John Rutherford, co-owner of the Cadju Cafe, welcome to Opportunity Detroit. It's great to have you on the show today. It's great to be on it. How are you? And now, John, the Cadju Cafe is the site of a women's feather bowling league. What's this all about? What is feather bowling? Well, feather bowling is uh, is a Belgian sport, um, going back probably to the 14th century, and and you have basically 12 balls. The balls are rolled down a a trough shaped dirt alley um, towards a, there's a feather on each end. And uh, the the goal is to get the um, ball closest to the feather as possible. And so the women's league we just resurrected at the Cadu Cafe over on the east side of Detroit uh, in September. We hadn't had it there in about forty years. My wow. partner and I, Paul Howard, we bought the Cadu about four years ago, and uh, we were approached by a, a few women who wanted to uh, resurrect this league. And we have it every Wednesday from. 7 to 11 p.m., and we're really happy with uh, how it's turned out, and everyone's really excited. And it, they join our co-ed league on Tuesdays and our, our men's league on Thursday, with the men's league dating back to the Cadu Feather Bowling Club dating back to 1933. Wow. How many people on a team, John? Up to six. So there's, there's varying ways to play. You can play one-on-one. Or you can play six versus six. There's six balls per team. 
Okay. And so up to 12 people can play on, on a lane per time. And how does this work at the Kaju Cafe? Do you do it both ways? A variety of ways. So uh, the, the men's league, for instance, on Thursday is, is, a, is a one-on-one style league. Uh, the women are, are using that model as well. The Tuesday co-ed league is more of a, uh, a, a, team, a team approach, varying from uh, three to uh, six members per team. And then when we, you know, with, with public coming in and, and, you know, we have a lot of group events, corporate events, team sure. building events, values are brought, you know, one-on-one all the way to six-on-six. Six. I'd say the average is probably three-on-three. Three. So that way every person gets to roll two balls. It sounds like it's become pretty popular. I bet that's good for business at the Kaju Cafe. It's great. That's awesome. Now, what else do you serve there? What kind of food, drink, that sort of thing? Well, we're we're best known for mussels. Oh, um, going you know Bel- Belgian cuisine mussels, and we also actually have rabbit, quite popular with rabbit. But then we have you know typical bar food. We have a, a good burger. We have sandwiches, um, soups, salads. But the, uh, the the unique things are mussels and and rabbit. Now, where do you get the mussels? Where do they come from? Prince Edward Island, oh. and we get them via uh, Eastern Market. Oh, that's awesome. Now, how is business, since I know it was probably tough during the pandemic, but how is it since things are starting to kind of, sort of, get back to normal? It's it's great. I, I uh, We're open seven days a week. We open at 4 p.m. on Mondays uh, through Saturday. Sundays we open at 2 p.m. And we go till midnight um, and later on Fridays and Saturdays. And we've, uh, I think we're finally getting sort of back. I, I You know, you guys did hesitate to use the word normal but uh <laughs> I, I think we're as far as the volume of people it's it's kind of uh towards pre-pandemic uh numbers have you had any other businesses in detroit or even outside of detroit that have come to you and asked about the feather bowling because it does seem to enhance what you do oh many many sure we we have especially around holiday time november november January, a lot of companies will have their holiday parties. Um, families have family gatherings, birthday parties, things like that. But a lot of companies um, have, uh, especially over this last year, have have gotten back to coming to the Cashew for their for their holiday events. John Rutherford, co-owner of the Cashew Cafe, tell our listeners again where you're located and how they can get in touch with you if they want to do a little feather bowling. Sure. We are on the east side of Detroit, 4300 Cadu Road. That's an exit off of I-94. And our phone number is 313-882-8560. And even better yet, our email address is info, I-N-F-O, at CadueCafe.com. And that's C-A-D-I-E-U-X. And we welcome uh, people to come on in and and come to the east side of Detroit and Feather Bowl and have some good food. Oh, it sounds like a lot of fun. John Rutherford, co-owner of the Cadu Cafe, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. Hockey is really big in Metro Detroit, and on JR Sunday, 
Mark Hollis introduced us to Nick Field, general manager of the Motor City Rockers, a local minor league hockey team that plays in Frazier. The uh, Motor City Rockers uh, are in the midst of their inaugural season in the Federal Prospects Hockey League. It's a single-A minor pro league that uh, is competing up there at Big Boy Arena in Frazier. Uh, let's bring in Nick Field, the general manager of the Rockers. Welcome to JR Sunday. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Great. I had an opportunity to, to see you on a, uh, a television uh, interview and was very impressed uh, with your delivery and, and your conversation and, and support of a league that, that you are leading, that you are guiding, uh, and is having just a heck of, a, of an inaugural year. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're doing our best both, um, you know, on, on the ice as well as trying to get a, a new franchise off the ground from a business standpoint. And uh, we're doing everything we can for the first season to, to have a successful product, uh, like I said, on the ice and, uh, and, and the business side as well. And um, obviously throughout the year, we're getting more and more support and more and more traction throughout the community and, um, and things are going well. As the athletic director at Michigan State uh, at a time when you were competing, um, 2003, you were on the CCHA championship team up there at Ferris State as a player and now a general manager. How do those playing days um, really impact how you lead a, a team now, a professional uh, hockey team? How does how you does know, that how does that energy or that that drive uh, continue with you today? So I think uh, the first thing is the passion for the game. Um, obviously, being a former player, um, I wanted to stay in the game post career, and you know I didn't have a fabulous you know, professional career by any means, or, you know, I was a mediocre college player for that matter. Um, but I wanted to stay in the game and I got involved in coaching. So I coached for about 15 years after, uh, after my playing career was done at the high school level and even, um, over at Oakland university at the ACHA D one level. Um, so I think the coaching side of things and then just the management of that, because when you're running a high school program or even a club program, you're, you're managing and coaching, right? So it's just a matter of managing players and, um, and the team overall. So I think it was a smooth transition to operating this team. Now, as far as putting the roster together, you know, being a former player and having the experience at higher levels, especially, you know, playing for coaches at higher levels and playing with players that obviously have, have, have competed at the highest level as well. You get a lot of experience that way. And, you know, the biggest thing for me is just uh, communication with the players and we're, you know, trying to find guys uh, to bring in and making sure that they're a right fit from a culture standpoint, but also the, on, uh, you know, the on the ice part of the skill level that all goes hand in hand. But uh, overall, I think I got a great, um, great amount of experience just, you know, through my playing days at higher levels, but also even coaching at the lower levels. Well, never sell yourself short. Uh, many people want to play college hockey and never get that opportunity. You also played with the Cleveland Barons and the Des Moines Buccaneers. So it's uh You've had opportunities that many have have aspired to, and and I congratulate you on that. Talk about your players a little bit. The, uh, you know, on the ice, you get to see them compete. Uh, what are these guys like away from the game? So going back to building the roster out. So one of the big things that we wanted to do, um, you know, my my goal is, hey, we don't want to just have a good hockey team. We want to have a good locker room, a good culture, and the guys that we have uh, been able to, you know, find and bring in. Um, fit the bill. Um, we have a number, you know, I don't think we have a single guy in the locker room that we don't in theory want there. They're all great guys. They're all, they're all here following their dreams. You know, they're, they're, they're doing the right things on and off the ice. And overall, just, we have, we have a great leadership, uh, a group in our room and it carries over to the rest of the roster. And like I said, it's a bunch of quality guys, these young guys, uh, trying to make it work and climb that ladder, you know? So, um, 
so far so good, and we're really pleased with the group that we have. April 14th, you have another uh, fun, fun, and I always enjoy these. April 14th, um, the Mississippi Sea Wolves come into town, and it's Pucks and Paws. Yeah, so uh, that one is uh, coming up here in a couple weeks, actually. I don't know what it'll be, about a month away from that. So uh, that's going to be a uh, an opportunity for people to you know bring their dog to the game, and we're working with the local um, Humane Society to help generate awareness for them. And just kind of a fun night out, uh, you know, just something unique that if people want to come out and bring their their dogs with them and, and just have a good fun experience, that's that's what's going on with that. Um, the other thing is too, I mean, moving forward, I think we have um, four. Let's see, one. We have three Saturday home games left, and every Saturday we're going to do a post game skate with the players as well um, for for the rest of the season. And then you know we have some other things coming up as well. Uh, we have a spring sports night, um, March 25th, where we're targeting youth sports teams. Um, doesn't matter what sport it is, uh, giving them an opportunity to uh, work together and help raise some money for their for their youth organizations. Um, we have an autism awareness night on April 1st. We're actually working with Freddie the Pizza Man over there. If, uh, if you're familiar with Freddie or not, but he's uh, got a big big foundation for for autism that we're working with him on, and uh, you know we're just trying to do a lot of things to. A, uh, you know, support the community and be, uh, and be a good entertainment option for people. We're talking with Nick Field, general manager of the Motor City Rockers. Um, anytime you go into an inaugural season, there's so much work um, over preparation in many cases. I'm working with the USFL right now on the return of the Michigan Panthers to Detroit, and I see a lot of similarities uh, between these inaugural years. When you look back and you're getting this all started and, and you're putting the energy in, is there anything that came along that maybe you uh, uh, would have done a little bit differently starting a, a pro hockey team here in, in Detroit? Yeah, I mean, I think our biggest challenge was we got the franchise um, probably, I think it was technically late April, um, but we were starting from scratch. So we had to spend the whole summer basically getting a new business off the ground. Um, anything, I always like to say, we had to get we started from, we had nothing, right? So anything from office furniture to actually putting a team on the ice, we had to accomplish throughout the summer, which, um, you know, if we look back on it, the one thing I think that um, I think we all would agree on is that if we could have got at least a, a six months earlier head start to get some of the, the business foundation in place, it would have given us more time to actually get ahead of the game as far as promotion and marketing and that sort of thing. Um, but overall, like you said, it's a, it was a, a pure startup and we started from nothing and uh, we pulled it together. You know, the other side of the fence is, Hey, we did get it off the ground. We did get things in, in motion. We got everything set up and we got a good team on the ice and, uh, and we're doing well. So uh, I think time is the biggest thing. When we look back, if we would have given ourselves a little bit more time, we probably feel more comfortable right now. JR Sunday with Mark Hollis airs every Sunday from 8 to 10 a.m. I'm Ann Thomas. Thanks for listening to Opportunity Detroit and enjoy the rest of your weekend.